the construction industry can be a tough business to crack. From cash flow problems, struggling to find skilled labour, and not making enough money for your efforts, leaves many business owners feeling frustrated and burnt out. But when you get the business strategy right, it's an industry that can be highly satisfying and financially rewarding. I'm here to give you the resources to be able to create a construction business that gives you more time, more freedom, and more money. This is the Develop Your Construction Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Wilkes. Can I just ask a quick favor? If you're getting some value out of our podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could just quickly go online, make sure you subscribe, and leave us a review on the platform that you're listening on. That really helps our rankings and just helps other construction business owners find out about the show so they can improve their businesses too. So let me just say thanks in advance. Okay, well, I've got a special treat for my listeners today. And I've always I've had some fantastic guests on in the past, but today is really a treat because the story is going to resonate with so many of you because it really is a story of rags to riches in construction. We're going to dive into the mindset and the tactics of how my guests went from being just a plumber on the tools to creating the UK's largest independent plumbing company, Pimlico Plumbers. He's been awarded an OBE in 2014 from Her Late Majesty the Queen at the New Year's Honours for services to the plumbing industry. And he's been a business advisor to David Cameron and George Osborne. He's recently sold his business for over £140 million and often you'll see him on TV, radio, and the papers. So if you haven't worked out who it is already, it's a huge privilege to welcome my special guest today, Charlie Mullins, OBE. Charlie, great to have you on the show. Hi, Greg. Yeah, thanks for having us. I've been looking forward to this. And uh, yeah, thanks for a great introduction. Yeah, really, really, really great to have you, mate. So, um, Charlie, a lot that will be following you, especially if they're living in London, will know all about Pimlico Plumbers, but there'll be some that are listening that might not quite know your story and your background. So do you mind sort of just telling us, first of all, a bit of a rundown of, you know, how did it all begin? You know, what was your ambition when you first started out as a, as a plumber? Yeah, OK. Um, basically, I started off as an apprentice plumber when I was 15, done four-year apprenticeship, and then immediately went self-employed and... Uh, carried on for about seven, eight years of self-employed. Then I started working in the Pimlico area and in 1979 formed Pimlico Plumbers. So I started off on my own, one man, one van, and we sort of um, then went on to employ about 450 people and a 50 mil turnover. And so the business was going 41 years and rightly, as you said, uh, sold it on to an American outfit, um, you know, just, just last year for 140-odd mil. And we still retain 10%. My son carried on their CEO for a short while, but he's now decided to come away from that. Um, and, and again, it became the largest independent plumbing company um, in, in, the, in, the, in the UK and certainly the most recognisable. We, we, you know, we've been involved in sort of everything over the years uh, from a PR point of view. And rightly, as you said, I got OB in 2014 for services to plumbing. And we've had over 1,200 apprentices on their books over the years, which, which I'm very proud of. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of shortcutting it, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible story, Charlie. Obviously, there's thousands of plumbing companies out there that um, maybe have the same ambitions for you as, as have grown such a big company, but Pimlico really has been a standout success. What, what do you think the keys to Pimlico's success was? If you, if you could whittle it down, do you... You think there's there's one thing that made you stand out above others? 
I, I would say there's probably not one thing, but but many things. You know, it's I, I always explain it like this, Greg. I know your listeners are up and running, and they're running, you know, reasonable businesses with good turnover and and employing people. So I'm not trying to teach anyone anything, but I looked at business, uh, and a simple way to explain it is. You know, it's like making a cake. You're putting different ingredients in, you know, a bit of PR and a bit of HR and a, a bit of recruitment and a bit of uh, um, call center and a bit of like, you know, quality control. And you call, keep adding things to the mix. And, and, and I found that's the easy way to explain it. So over the years, we keep trying different things, you know, better uniform, change the vans, bit more publicity. And eventually, you know, you, you get a good mix and you, and you get a good cake. So I would describe it as, you know, all businesses are long-term. There's no such thing as a, a short-term successful business. And I believe the longer you go, the more successful you're going to be if you've got it right. What did make us also very different was, you know, I wanted to change the, the sort of stigma in the industry. And, you know, as you're probably aware, in the plumbing industry, it was, you know, not turning up, overcharging, arse hanging out their trousers, rusty old van not being transparent, not being clean and tidy, not finishing the job. So basically I'll come up with a list of things that was um, that people are very against that was was knocking the industry. And I've literally just done the opposite. And again, I, you know, explain that to business people, just come up with a list what are not good in your industry and do the opposite. And again, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm a great believer of doing something right. You know, if you, if you do it right, um, you know, I believe you'll come through kind of thing, you know, no shortcuts, very transparent. And, and that, that was quite new to the plumbing industry then because, because of the image that they had. So I went about it on that way. You know, we was clean and tidy, lovely uniform, lovely van, turn up on time, polite on the phone, get the job done, transparent, don't leave a mess. Um, and, and that's what the customer wanted. And, and then I realised, you know, very early on that people will always pay for quality. Doesn't matter whether it be a suit, haircut, shirt, product, you know, electrical service, a washing machine. People will always pay for quality. And and you know, I think if you if you mix the right customer and with the right plumber and the right sort of format that, that you're gonna give somebody and they get a quality product, then you know, I think you're on a winner kind of thing. I'm I'm making it sound simple, but let's not kid anyone. 41 years, there's been some ups and downs. We've nearly gone bust a couple of times. But, you know, the longer you're in business, the more the more it's inclined it's going to be successful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's definitely been some ups and downs as, as with all businesses. I, I know um, you seem to have specifically targeted, you know, high-end London clients that, you know, obviously can pay uh, a premium for a really good service. Was, was that, Did you sort of fall into that market? Or was that very deliberate because you're branding and, everything was was very geared up towards that wasn't it so was, was that yeah, a deliberate thing yeah very deliberate um you know um we, we work for everybody whether you be you know famous rich and famous or politician or just mrs smith you know in east london we, we the service was the same and 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 the charges were the same but we marketed more more of a uh upper class um clientele on the basis that you know i wanted to provide the best service a quality service which meant, you know, you got to pay to put that together. You got to pay more money. You got to, you know, it's a more expensive to run. And and on that basis, we needed customers that were more on the wealthier side that are happy to pay that kind of price. So that that's how I went from it because you know if if we done sort of a cheaper scale, you know, cut price plumbing, um, 
you know, we could have charged a lot less and, and worked in different areas, but that wasn't the market I wanted. I, I felt that, you know, I felt that plumbing needed changing. I think there's some great tradespeople out there. And, you know, I just sort of put it all together. And, and you know, in the end, we was doing, you know, over 2,000 jobs a week. So you can tell that, you know, how busy we was in, in all the... In, in all the good areas and you know maybe another way of putting it to business people is you know it's easier to get money off of people that's got money than to for people that hasn't got money so it, it's mm. nothing sort of over clever it's just common sense really um and and yeah. you know there's a big gap in the market for quality plumbing service or there's a big gap in the market for any construction uh quality service yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah. So obviously you've been through some there must have been some pain points in the business. It's not it's not a straightforward line up to from zero to, to sort of 50 million, is it a year? So you've transitioned through some phases and, and probably some plateaus where you got stuck and then and burst through plateaus. Um, do you remember where you sort of hit those barriers and, and how you got through them? Was there was there any pain points at certain levels that you thought, oh that, yeah, that was really difficult, but this is what we did oh, to look, get through look, it? Undoubtedly, you know, we we were was up and running in say 1979, 1980, and you know we plodded along for a nice few years, just very small and all that. And then in 89, 90, there was a recession come. I just purchased a, a, a building that we was going to move into out of Pimlico, and everything went wrong. You know, um, at that time we was giving credit to customers, um, and, and basically, you know, we nearly went bust that time. I went to see two liquidators, um, and one liquidator said. How much do you owe? And we owed everybody probably 300k suppliers and tax and everything. And and um, and how much have we got? And we had nothing, but we had 80 grand outstanding from clients. And, and he said, Look, you just got to go bust, but you're going to lose your house, etc. etc. And you know, the sleepless nights were there. I mean, I'm you can't, I don't think anyone can get successful without something giving on the way, whether it be going bust or whether it be, you know, family, friends. Um, sleepless nights, they're, they're out there in, in a business to get it right. Anyhow, when I see a, a, a second liquidator, so I'm a great believer of getting second opinion on important things. And second liquidator said, look, you're going to lose your house, you might as well fight for it. And uh, that's what we've done. We, we, we took his advice, changed everything, and then we, we come away from uh, giving people credit and made it payment on completion. And, and that worked for us. That plus many other things, you have to change a lot. We, we just, anybody that we've done work for, they had to pay and that made a difference to the cash flow. Um, and, and quite often, Greg, and, and a lot of your business guys know that, is that most people that go bust, it's because somebody else owes them money, you know, the, the knock-on mm. chain. So that's what we've done. We changed their, their payment policy. We changed, you know, we smartened up a bit. We livened up. It's a bit like, you know, like a boxer. You've been knocked down. No point in getting up and just carrying on the same because he's going you're going to go again. So you step it up, and that's what we've done. And, and fortunately, he got through it. It took four or five years, um, and I changed everybody. I changed the accountant. I changed everybody in the office. Everybody went. Every plumber went. We changed the complete thing because I was used to their old system. And and you know, I'm a great believer in that. You know what I mean? If, if it's all going wrong, get rid of everyone. Or well, I jump ship anyhow. If I'm being honest. They, they soon jump ship and um you know and i changed everybody and at that time just to give you an idea in 1990 we we're turning over a million pound we just got to a million and to get to a million pound at that time even now it's a, it was a great thing it was a big milestone 
but unfortunately, you know, we 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 was in trouble. We didn't have it right. And I changed the countdown and he said, look, I believe a million pound business, there's something here. You know, we can't just let this fold. And with these good sort of advice and, and backing, he said, you know, if you can get this right. And of course, we went from a million and, and then, you know, it gradually went to two, then three, then four. And, you know, so millions keep going. And I say at the end of the day, we got to 50. And and my, my I'm not going to say dream, my um uh, what would you call it? My 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 format that I was going to do, we would have reached a hundred mil. That's where we was heading for. And you know, I, I'd worked this out how we can get to it. We was going to go into the commercial side of it more. We was going to expand geographically, uh, and we would have hit hundred mil. There's, there's, you know, I, I know it's like because once you get rolling on it, I mean, there weren't many years that we never went up from. Once we got out of that recession, there was no other time we didn't go up, even through the pandemic. Uh, or pad- pandemic, sorry, the COVID situation, we went up kind of thing. So, mm. you know, we was really on a good roll. And um, yeah, so, so you know, uh, that, that basically the, the, the you know, when you get sort of a real, you're nearly going, you, you know, you, you really have got to step it up. You either chuck the towel in or fight for it. And fortunately, we fought for it and, um, and got through it. Yeah, and it obviously massively paid off, which is which is incredible. And I think that's really, really valuable because there'll be some that are listening to this that might be going through those difficulties at the moment and they're thinking, you know, what should I do? So it's really interesting just, just to work out what it was that, that got you out of that then. So was it was it just a combination of taking payment on demand and growth that, that sort of that got you through that? Or was yeah, did you change I think first of all, it was payment getting our payment in, which meant we could operate properly without all the pressure. Um and, and the other thing is we got rid of all the dead wood. You know, you tend to sort of have a lot of it then. And I hate to say, I'm not, you know, I don't like to see anybody out of work, but it's either you or them. So I said, we got rid of everybody gradually, you know, and uh, changed them with better people. Um, and then you start realise you can't, you can't have anybody dragging you down. You can't have anybody, you know, because they don't care if you're going to go bust. They couldn't care less, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. you've got to be a little bit ruthless. You've got to get rid of people. And um, and then oh, I think I went in it as a more serious. You know, it, it, I'm I'm a lot more now black and white. I was, you know, if you don't stack up, you got to go. If you want lots of money, yeah. you got to produce, kind of thing. And you know, we changed everything. We we put everybody on on incentives, more financial incentives. All the office staff, all the all the engineers was on some form of incentive bonus, and and that definitely worked. So you know, we had that. You know, everybody was sort of fighting then to to because. It was all of a sudden. It was a great job. He was getting good money. We was regularly very busy, um, and and I think with the help of that and great PR, it, the PR is so important. Uh, people often say to me, uh, Greg, you know, you know, how important is the PR? And you know, I can't afford to have it. You know, and I, I say to people that old saying, "Well, can you afford not to have it?" Because PR is mm. a big difference, and it doesn't matter, you know what construction you're in, whether, you know, whether you're building apartments or whether you're, you know, working for, you know, private customers in Chelsea, you can be the best company in the world. This is what I was taught. You can be the best plumbing company in the world, but if nobody don't know about you, there's no point. So mm-hmm. the PR yeah. helped massively with our growth. Yeah. And, and I, I know you were big on that. And um, it's, it's amazing how some businesses, the, the business owners are completely faceless, aren't they? You don't actually know who they are, but, would, would you definitely say that you attribute that 
attribute that to your success that you were out there, you were the face uh, of the business. And, uh, and there's no two ways about that because you know if if you mentioned Pimlico Plumbers, it was known. It was a, we, we we created a brand, and, and again, mm-hmm. you know, the good PR company told me, you know, this is what you need to do. Very hard to do, but you know, you just keep going, keep you know. And he said that, you know, in PR, it's called recognition. You know, whether you be on a billboard, telly, in the paper, any form of advertisement, you know, on social media. Um, and if you can get recognised for the right thing, then that's the way to be successful. So it's called recognition. Yeah, that's fantastic. Simple, simple as that, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, brilliant. that's brilliant advice there, Charlie. Just, just quite interesting is, um, obviously, from, from someone who was on the tools as a plumber to, to get to, you know, 1 million and then, you know, 5, 10, how did your role change in the business? Because obviously to, to jump and just run a 50 million pound company, is a completely different beast to uh, just being on the tool. So when did you know like how to step back or when to employ different people? What, what, what did you do? Yeah. Well, look, to, to, to be honest, um, you know, once we've got formed the Pimlico Plumber Company, and then I, I had a rented one room in Pimlico from, from the estate agent uh, that offered me it. And, um, you know, I was thinking to myself, what am I doing? I'm a plumber. What, what do I want an office for? It just didn't add up. And I had sleepless nights again. What, what, you know, and I had an answer machine in there. And, and, and I was sort of, you know, taking a few calls, going out, doing a few jobs. And I, and I quickly realised that, you know, you can't do the two. And then I started employing people. And, and again, I have to say, the, the, the road to be successful is employing people. You can't do it without people. You need many ranger. And... You know, I found in, 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 in business, the worst thing in business is employing people. And the best thing is business is employing them because without it, you ain't growing. That, that's my take. And, um, you know, it can be a nightmare, but eventually you, you get the good ones. So, and, and then I realised the more people I employ, the more plumbers I put on the road, more vans on the road, the more we're going to bring in. It's fairly obvious. And I think that goes the same with any industry. You know, if you've got, 10 bricklayers or 20, you're going to get more money for 20, aren't you? You're going to get more work. Yeah, 100%. I learned to employ people. And then I very quickly come off the tool. I had to come off the tool straight away. And, you know, someone said to me then, you know, you know, it's like being on a ship. You can't steer the ship, be the captain and and feed the boiler. It's got to be one or the other. And, of course, the more important one is to, you know, um, to to direct your ship kind of thing, you know, to be in control of of your thing. So... All the old sayings come out. You know, I've learned also in business that we all learn from somebody. Every, I don't think there's nothing new in business. You just learn. You see this one do this. You see that uniform. You see that van. You see that approach. And and we all learn off someone. And that's what you've got to do, I think, is pick bits and pieces as you go around. And that's the way we go. And, and you know, I'm, I was very quick at picking things up. You know, I, I'd, I'd already had a good knowledge of, of changing the image of plumbing. And, and, you know, I've been, wherever I go, even now, I pick something up. I think, oh, you know, that's a great idea, you know. And, you know, you mm. put all, the, all them bits together and, and, you know, and it makes a cake, basically. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. So it's interesting you talked about hiring people is the key because all we hear in construction is as a massive shortage of tradespeople, you can't get people. And this often seems to barrier to people's growth. So... How did you overcome that? What, what did you What would you say is the key for how you attracted some of the best trades to, to come and work for you? Oh, well, that's a simple one. It's money. There's no two yeah. ways about that. The more money you pay, the better the person you're going to get. Obviously, there's other things you can chuck in. You know, we had, used to have subsidised canteen like for all the office staff. Uh, we used to have a gym for everybody. Um, 
like roof garden barbecues, boat party, Christmas party, um, massage in the in the gym thing. So we we had a lot of um, a lot of sort of extras. What I would say that it makes the job more attractive. So it's money plus incentives, um, yeah. and, and then you'll you'll get the better people, the people that need the money, the people with a bit of drive in it. And on the on the plumbing side of it, um, or the tradesman side of it, we employed as many self-employed people as we can. Um, they work for us all the time um and it was okay with the tax people we we got through that one and and you you know you always find with self-employed people they got a little bit more drive in them because they're getting more out of it you know and their engineers yeah. was on was on a percentage of what they earned so we had set rates so you know if an engineer is going to get more he's going to work more he's going to stay longer you, you know and 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 sort of back the company up uh, you know it is about money it's all very well people saying oh no it ain't about money the people that are driven are driven by money and and obviously um, incentives at work. But without the money, it's yeah. not, you know. So obviously, to pay good money, you've got to bring good money in. It, it, it's a no-brainer, really, if you think about it. But yeah, definitely, money is the key to employing good people. Or uh, sorry, again, yeah. I just, just want to add this in case anybody copies what I've done and they go bust. It worked for me. Is what I'm saying. Worked for Pimlico Plumbers. Whether it can work for everybody, I, I, I couldn't say that, but. You know, if I went again, I would do exactly the same system, but I'd actually pay plumbers even more money because, you know, I, I feel rightly with the shortage of tradesmen now, um, you know, you can ask for more money these days. There's a massive shortage and people will always pay for quality. It's probably obvious now, but you've got to have a good recruitment team bringing them in and you've got a good HR at the other end. I know it's obvious now, but if you've got them two right, you ain't going to go wrong, you know what I mean? Because you only bring the right ones on. And when you have got to get rid of them, you know, which you, you know, you do, you, you're covered kind of thing. So if I set up tomorrow, I'll have the best recruitment I'll have and I'll have the best HR, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that's that's great advice. And, and success leaves clues, Charlie. So I think, that, you know, a lot of people will be listening to that. So that's, that's brilliant. Um, when I was reading your book, um, there was something that came out in it about the Pimlico Bible. Um, and I was fascinated with that concept because that seemed quite new really in, in you know for a business to, to be able to do that so tell me why you felt the Pimlico Bible was so important and what out of interest what sort of size business were you when you implemented that well we was only very small probably about five or six people I tell you I tell you what that wow. so when I was first employed when we had this office I used to sort of put signs up in the office saying don't don't wear trainers you can't wear shorts you know no vest certain haircuts you can't you know no ponytails no earrings no tattoos all over your face um for our image and 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 you know it was like you know we start at eight we finish at this time and i was fed up of keep explaining to every individual everyone i interviewed i had to explain how we work this is, and it was so and so i started forming these a4 bits of paper and laminating and putting them then i was giving them out to the engineers when they started working for us and then I thought, let's just put it in a book. And so we called it the Pimlico Bible. And this book, and it was very straightforward. You know, it weren't nothing complicated. You know what I mean? Air we operate, you know, van's got to be clean. You've got to be clean. You can't wear this. You can't wear trainers. Um, and so I called it a do's and don'ts or rules and regulation book. And, and then it, it probably grew to about probably 40 pages. But it was very straightforward. You know, this is our working hours. This is how you contact the office. This is... You know, if, if you're not coming in a particular day, this is what you do. You know, you know, I know it's all common sense, but keep repeating it to people. Or they go, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. 
So that was it. We formed this book, so I was just fed up with keep explaining to people. And then, of course, as we grew, it was just simple. Explain a few bits, show them the book. And then if anything went wrong, you know, say a guy turns up in trainers, you know, uh, and one of their quality control would see it or we would just, someone else would just say it. Um, you just say, look, on page 27, that's what it says, no trainers, got to wear proper footwear. So there's no argument with it. And then it's a bit like, you know, it's either airway or the highway kind of thing. You know, and I don't mean to yeah. be ruthless on it, but one thing you've got to do with your business is you have got to be in charge of it. You know what I mean? You cannot have other people running your business. So, you know, that was their rules. If you don't like it, go somewhere else, basically. And, you know, it's yeah, a lot of things at the time because, you know, you could be getting rid of good quality engineers. and um, But you've, you've got to set standards. And, and I think I think image is, is so important, especially if you're working direct with a customer. Clearly. And, and that obviously set you apart from other, other companies out there. Oh, straight so away. I, that's I mean, straight more. away. Yeah. You know, it was it was one of the, well, it was the best thing I've done, but it, 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 it just sort of, I just so fed up of telling people. And, you know, it's like in an interview, you know, now you just go, or go oh, there's the book. But they know, they know now, they know how it's set up. It's gone out there. Many people have copied the Pimlico Bible. And I would say any business that somebody runs, you've got to have your terms and conditions, like with your customer, you know, payment on completion, um, we want deposits, we want uh, part payment of a job, what, wherever your terms are, and you must stick to it. You mustn't let anybody else run your business for you. Yeah, no, I think that's really valuable. Just something you touched on earlier, you, you mentioned about potentially wanting to go national um, and creating a, you know, a hundred million pound business a year. Um, Obviously, it, it took you many years to get up to the, 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 I mean, it was great growth, obviously, I'm not, not yeah. to get to the 50 million, but you, you've done it sort of slow and steady and sustainable, um, which is, you know, a lot different. You see a lot of companies just absolutely going ballistic and then they pop, don't they? Because they, they've grown too fast. Um, what was it that held you back from going national before? Was it was it that, that you weren't sure you could cope with it? Or what, what, what held you back from doing it? Because you did stay London predominantly, didn't yeah. you? Well, okay, to, to, just to square this up, to, to reach, we was at 50 mil, to reach 100 mil, we weren't going to go national. We are just going to geographically spread to the M25 a bit more. There's loads of work in London, you know what I mean? There's just loads. Mm. So we, we wouldn't have needed to gone out of the M25 to reach 100 mil. But uh, at that particular time, imagine we was only in certain areas and there were so many more boroughs that we could have gone to. Um, and what we would have done is just like, expanded more engineers in that area, more advertising in that area. So we wouldn't have gone out of that stage to, to get 100 mil. Um, and we was also going to start doing more commercial. We was only ever domestic uh, stuff. Um, what was the question? No, no, that's it. I think that covers it um, because I think what's really interesting is sometimes we we sort of have the concept of oh, to, to create such a big business in the UK, you've got to go national. Oh, but actually, to, to achieve that just in London or to have the yeah. potential of that is incredible. You know, there's so much work in London. And, and you know, I started off in Pimlico and we didn't move out of Pimlico to start with. And, you know, you don't realise there's enough there for you. And then you took on Chelsea, Kensington. So there's loads of more areas. We're just moving further and further out. And, and it was starting to come in. People, oh, could you come here? Could you come there? Um, so, uh, and rightly said, we, we sort of grew slowly because I, I think that, you know, the the the, the item we got in, in two recessions, first one we nearly went, the second one we sailed through it. But I think you become very cautious then and you think, you know, 
I mean, my, my, I remember my bookkeeper saying to me at the time, if you get through the recession, Charlie, you're going to come out stronger. And you are, you're a bit like, like oh, I ain't having this. I'm not going to have, no, I'm not going down that road. So we, we grew slowly and I think it's more controllable. You've got more control because, you know, it, you know, I know it's all old sayings, but it takes a long time to build up your reputation and it's gone overnight. And, and the art of it is, yeah. the art of a successful business is the people you employ. You know, it's, yeah. no, it's corny, but it is, you know, you're as good as the people you employ. And the more you pay, the better the people, the better you treat them, the better the people, the better your job you do, the more work you get. It's, you know, it's all it's all the obvious things. It's, it's, I don't think there's no secrets in business other than doing things the right way and the best way. Yeah, and then sometimes the easiest, the, the simplest things are the best things, aren't they? Which I think you're explaining there. You, you, you touched on this a few times about the recession uh, that you went through in the 90s. And obviously, a lot of people are going to be listening to this now worried about what we're going to face in the next sort of six months or, or year ahead, because it looks like we, you know, we're potentially entering a one in the recession. And the, the thing is with the construction industry, it's always pretty badly affected, isn't it, during yeah. recessions. Um, what would you, if you were giving people advice now, I mean, in, in the recession that you faced, what were you, was that the reason you faced the problems because you were sort of full steam ahead or would, would you do anything differently now to protect yourself against a recession? Well, look, we, 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 we've gone through the one in, in the late 80s, and then I think we've had one or two other ones which we sailed through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, the, the first thing you do in, in recession is cut down on the dead wood. That's what you've got to do. You know, if you've got four people in a department and get them down to three, that's what you have to do, unfortunately. You've got to be cruel to be kind. And, um, you know, most important thing is to get rid of dead wood, people that are not productive enough or people that you know, not stacking up, you know, not coming in on time or, or bringing the company down. You get rid of them, first of all. Um, and the other thing you've got to do, believe it or not, or what we've done is you've got to step up productivity. And what, I, what I've done was, you know, a lot of people, when, when a recession comes, the first thing they cut back on is marketing and, and, and that sort of it. I never. I went the complete opposite way. Because if you think about it, you know, a lot of people are pulling out the marketing. Now, all of a sudden, you step yours up you're in their face kind of thing. So what we done was, you know, when people were saying to me, like, oh, cut down on marketing, cut down on this, and, and I just went, no, because I'm a great believer. If, if we all do the same, everyone will be a millionaire. We're not all millionaires. So you've got to do something mm -hmm. different. So I thought on the market, no, let's really hammer the marketing, especially on social media. And um, that's what we've done. We, we, we upped their marketing uh, budget. When we wrapped up at Pimlico, I sold it. We were spending a million pounds on marketing and that's money well spent you know and but a lot of people cut back so i'm going to say don't cut back you know spend more on market but get rid of the dead wood and you can increase your productivity yeah that's that's really interesting because it's, it's interesting listening to because you, you um maybe with humility you're sort of saying it, it's quite easy some of the stuff you've done but actually just listen to you there you've done something completely different to the norm and I guess people will be wondering what, what makes Charlie Mullins different to others? Why, why is he able to create a 50 million pound business that, that others can't? So did you find that, was that generally the case that you were sort of just going with your gut or, or you know, what, what was it do you think made you a different yeah. business uh, leader? Okay, so yeah, my, most of the things was just going by my instinct and, and your instinct's quite a good judge of things and, and being very brave, you know, like, you know, when I come up with the number plate idea as a marketing idea, you know, our biggest advertising tour on the company was the vans 250 vans 
Uh, it doesn't cost nothing to run around London, no extra kind of thing. And it was a great marketing idea. So I come up with the plumbing related number plates and the amount of work that brought in was amazing. We had probably mm. one of the most recognizable vehicles on the road um, and very tastefully done also. And again, it's a great marketing tool. And I put a sign on the top saying uh, on call, lit up. And I got that idea of thinking, you know, just I, I thought, what's the most recognizable vehicles on the road? It's police, ambulance, fire brigade, and then it's taxi. And I thought, let's copy the taxi as best we can, because, you, you know, yourself, you're out. If a taxi says hire, you don't want it, but you know, it's, oh, that's for hire. And, and I thought, let's mm -hmm. do that with the plumbing. So we put on call. So people are not necessarily looking for a plumbing and they're looking, oh, Pimlico, on call. Oh, Pimlico, Pimlico. So the name's there. Um, so it's thinking different. Like, but it's, I, don't, I don't feel it's anything clever. Like, you know, we come up with a uniform, like uh, submissively, like the red and blue, hot and cold. And the vans were red and blue, and it's all that type of image. And and the plumbing related number place was a was was a, a gold mine really because the the first one I bought was drain, six grand it was in the auction. And um, I'm having sleepless nights. Am I mad? You know what am I doing? As soon as I put it on the road, it changed everyone. Went, my God, my God. And you know when I when I left that company, I sold all the number plates, and we had probably million and a half pounds worth of number plates. And they're worth their weight in gold. You know, I, I'd wow. say to any business, if you can advertise it with a number plate and obviously a sign written vehicle, I can never work out why a business has vehicles on the road they don't have it sign written. I just, I'm baffled. But, mm. you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a great marketing tool, the, the vehicle kind of thing. And, you know, I think all of that and then, and, and then with the PR and, you know, building a brand. So, yeah, you have got to think outside the box. And and what I tend to do, you know, if I was in a room now and everybody said, I agree on this, this, and this, I'll go the opposite way. That, that's me, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, well, if we was all right, we'd all, we'd all be millionaires, as I keep saying. So I tend yeah. to, you know, disagree with quite a lot of people, you know what I mean? A lot of people want to stay steady and stick to the norm, and, and that's okay. But, you know, if you want to be different and you want to be successful then you've got to be brave and take chances. Not every idea I came up with worked, but more work than didn't work. You know, I came up with the oldest employer in, in the UK, or in Europe, I mean. Took the guy on, he was 97. The amount of publicity work we got out of it was incredible. You know, it's just worth worth its weight in gold. And then women plumbers we had. And then, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some other things. Um, you know, I had the old fella running the marathon kind of thing and raising money for charity. And it's just making people aware. And, and I think you just got all the ideas are out there and, and you just got to be brave enough to try it. Yeah, I think that's that's really valuable. Not being scared of making those mistakes and, and trying that. Out of interest, what, what was what was the biggest mistake, Charlie? If you could put your finger on it, if you were advising your younger self, what would you go? Oh, that was that was a flop. Don't do that again. Yes. <laughs> Anything uh, you can, good point. Uh, let me think. Biggest mistake. Uh, I mean, it should be a lot more obvious. So, biggest mistake, biggest mistake. Well, I don't think it was from a marketing point because all our marketing worked. You know what I mean? Um, probably mm -hmm. the biggest mistake was not doing getting a, getting a PR company on on quicker. You know, it was pointed mm -hmm. out to me. I we bought this uh, uh, building in um, Lambeth, thirty thousand square foot, and and I had some. Doors for electric doors for the vans going in and out, and a company from up in Leeds supplied them, and and then their boss 
said, can we do a picture for a magazine? I said, yeah, fine, you know, like, you know, you come down to London. And she said to me, who does your PR? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you haven't got a PR company? I went, no. Anyhow, she mentioned a company called Recognition to me from up in Darlington. Um, and we took them on in 2000. And, and I'm still with them today. You know what I mean? They still do my personal stuff now. And, and you know, it's like you, it's these ideas you pick up off of people. But, you know, hmm. 25 years ago, why would a plumbing company have PR kind of thing? You know what I mean? And the difference is... What, what level are you... What level were you then, just out of interest, so people can gauge it? What, what level did you would you recommend someone gets a PR company on board? Is it a million or 10 million? What, what sort of size do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to say uh, certainly a million pounds. If you've got a million pounds, you can afford mm -hmm. PR people. And, and you're not often yeah. start off with someone doing your social media. That's where it, and now social media is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it costs nothing to be on social media. So if you give someone a monkey or, or, 800 quid a week to do your social media, are they going to get you 800 quid a week? Of course they are. You know what I mean? Of course mm. they are all day long. So yeah. I, I would say, you know, as soon as you're up and running, but but even as a small one-man band, you've still got to do social media, you know, and, and obviously you start off doing that yourself. So the quicker you get into PR, I think the better. And, yeah. and me, yeah, a lot of I hardly turn the computer on, but you know, I've got enough brains to pay people that can do it kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That. Not not how, but who sometimes you ask, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we said at the introduction, congratulations on the exit because that, you know, an incredible figure, 140 odd plus million, whatever it was, it's incredible, isn't it, really, what you achieved oh. and, you know, retaining the 10% stake, you must be sort of over the moon with that. And um, well, Yeah, it's not going to get any better, is it? That's for sure. <laughs> Sure thing. So, so what's next for you, Charlie? You, you don't look like a person that rests on your laurels. So, what's uh, what's what's yeah, in, well, look, what's retirement is never going to be there. Um, so, at the moment, I've got involved with uh, business advice with with a few singing eyes, and my fiance, um, uh, well, her nickname's Rara, but say Raquel Reno, um, has wrote an album, and and, and and since we've been together, and, and you know, we started off as friends, and I've just given a general business advice, and you know present yourself different and do it this way. Not I know nothing about singing. And within a year, she's gone from, you know, just doing the normal circuits to reinventing herself and wrote an album um, just recently, which is going to be coming out, some some single releases next year. Um, and she's gone from that type of thing. And, and, and now she's, you know, in a couple of weeks, she's doing the BBC Awards, she's doing a shooting star uh, ball, she's doing uh, House of Lords in a couple of weeks so on some charity function there. Um, various different things, but she's gone from just being, you know, normal singer to, and undoubtedly she's going to make it. And the reason she's going to make it is because, you know, she's got some good ideas that, that, that can make her look different from the rest. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and, and of course she's got the talent. I, I don't mean that. So I, I'm doing a bit of business advice for a few eyes there. I'm doing um, properly sort of top quality villas in, in, in Marbella, Spain, um, bought a couple of plots, going to knock them down, rebuild. One of, one of them is going to be for myself, but one or two of them I'll, I'll move on. Getting involved with a bit of property in London because I don't, you know, I, my background is doing property up kind of thing, so I'm not going to mm. waste all that. Um, and then I've sort of bought myself in as chairman on the Great British Radio, so I've got involved with that. Um, and, and that's more, and, and, and to be honest, the rest of the things are, a PR with you know recently done a TV show and we've got some other things that are in the pipeline. 
Um, and again, it's, it's good recognition. But the, I think the difference is now there's no stress. There's no, you know, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because, first of all, I think I find it interesting. Um, and I'm also sort of still doing things that encourage people, you know, to grow their business and, you know, to get apprentices into work. So yeah. I'm as busy yeah, as ever, but that. with no stress. <laughs> That's brilliant. And um, and I think it's testament to you just being on the podcast here is your uh, desire to try and help others that are, you know, are trying to grow and inspire other construction businesses. I think that's really fantastic, Charlie. Um, yeah, I mean, are you still running Pimbico in um, Marbella? Do you still have... No, no, have... we stopped all of that. I mean, that that I mean that could have grown massively, you know, uh, out, in, out in Marbella because of the massive shortage um, of it. But, you know, what what... Uh, you know, there's many questions people ask me, you know, and one one that is, you know, about, you know, going from small to getting bigger and, and you've got to make that jump of employing people. And, and, you know, for me, if I was giving out a few tips that I feel were beneficial, one's definitely PR, one's definitely employing people. Um, another one is the obvious one is be brave and, and, and don't worry about being wrong because you can, you know, you can always turn that around kind of thing. And the other thing I, I sort of learned over the years is, you know, we always use this term, we've got to think bigger and we don't realise what we can do. And, and I, I realised that if I'd have thought bigger from day one, I mean, I started thinking big from, say, 2000 kind of thing. But if mm. I'd have started thinking bigger from years back, we'd have been double the size we was. It, it, it's, you know, I'm not going to use that term, if I could do it, anyone can do it, because I don't believe in that term. But what I do believe in, you've got to think bigger. And, and, and a lot of people I speak in business, they go, well, we're okay at the moment, we're steady and, you know, and, you know, we've, we've, we've got, you know, 10 million pounds worth of contracts going on, you know, we'll add 20 million pounds, you know, think bigger. That's that's my take mm. on it. Um, and if I'd have done that with Pimico earlier, then we we probably, we, we would be national and we'd be, I don't know, I'm going to say probably five 500 uh, million turnover or something. But we, we're definitely a lot more capable than what we, we think ourselves. But we must be brave. You know, we've got to be brave to... to I, I don't know if that's the right word, brave, but we've got to be, you know, very sort of, um, you know... And, and, and the other thing, uh, Greg, as you know, um, of all the tips I've given out, um, they did work for us. But the most important thing there, I believe, is, is obviously the hard work and the enthusiasm, the drive. You've got to have a drive. You know, you've got to have mm. that drive. And if you haven't got the drive, well, then you've got, to, you've got to employ people that have got the drive. But, you know, the drive is the most important thing um, out there, I believe. Because a lot of people say to me, I work hard, I work all the hours, et cetera, et cetera. But are they ambitious enough? You know what I mean? Because I've got to be honest, Greg, um, when, when I was a plumber, apprentice plumber and self-employed, at that time, all I ever wanted to be was a plumber. I'm thinking, that do me. Good money, easy life. Yeah. Lovely customers, you know, earning nice money, lovely life, and 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 I got sort of pretty set. And then all of a sudden, somebody said to me again, "You learn with someone said, you need more of you, Charlie. You you know, you're getting your all the books busy, trying to get everywhere." And I said, "You've got to look for more people of you." And and, and then they said to me, they, "You know, as simple as that." They just said, "You got to employ people." I'm going, "No, no, that's the worst thing. You ain't gonna do it without." So these are the things I think you pick up, and and. You know, I'm, I know all the people that are looking in there are already employing people. And, you know, we know it's not easy, but the more people you get on board, the bigger the turnover. That's that's fantastic. Charlie, you've really given us some absolute gems today. And um, I know you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate your time in 
given us that for, the, for my listeners and um, they're going to certainly take a lot out of that. If they wanted to learn a little bit more about you, Charlie, you, you've got a book, haven't you? Um, where, where can they get that? Just on Amazon and places like that, uh, I guess. It's, it's not, not, not actually on Amazon, but um, I think if you just um, email us, it's Charlie Mullins, let me, Charlie at Charlie Mullins, OBE.com. Um, and then we just send some books out, you know, I mean, they're there for sale, but we're not, it's not about money. I mean, I've got to be honest with you, it, it's an autobiography and half of it is business tips. And it's mm. so, what's in there is straightforward, but it's just reminding people it, you know, you'll look at it and think, uh, oh yeah, he, he done this or he didn't do that. Um, so yeah, look, if you, you just get onto that, to that email and, and my PA guy sent some out, you know, it ain't about the money and, and that's gospel. I mean, I think the, the book was about 17 quid, but if, if you get one thing out of that book and it works for you, then yeah, it's worth, it's worth a million yeah. pounds, isn't it? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a great book. I've read it and it, um, yeah, certainly got to me to know you better and it was inspiring. I really found it inspiring. Bog standard business it's called, isn't it? The book. Yeah. Sorry. I've, I've, yeah. Bog standard business. Um, yeah, and, and the other thing is, you know, I'm just going to say out there, don't complicate business. You know, I mean, I found that, you know, and, and the other thing I have to say, it worked for me. I never had meetings all my business life, and I never will. You know, it takes me 60 seconds to say yes or no. It's normally yes or no at the end of a meeting. And, and I found by not having meetings, not paying people to sit there all day, never had meetings at all uh, uh, for, for business, you know. People just ask me a question, I say, let's do it. It's either yes or no, isn't it? And, and I just feel there's so much time wasted in meetings. Some people say you've got to have them, but, you know, you know what I mean? I will, You ask me any question, I'm going to give you a yes or no at the end of it, anyhow, within a minute kind of thing. So, you know, avoid meetings. That's interesting, yeah. Well, I guess because you've not come from that background, you haven't got that corporate set up and that some people are just fixed in that corporate mindset and it's probably quite refreshing not to have that in a big business like yours so um, i'm sure yeah, that, well, it's that, great that, because that really you make instant, instant um instant decisions and, and then other people copy off of you you know a manager and that he just goes look i'm not gonna have a meeting i just you know you've got all the social media just gonna say so and so so and so let's change this let's change that and i just think that it, it, you know i know people often say to me but we've got to have meetings but you know i just feel for, for my business, I've never never had one, never will have one. Uh, and the other thing is, never meet your bank manager. I've never done that at all, <laughs> and that's gospel. Uh, all the, t- the bank nearly ruined me in the first time because we had loans. And, you know, for me, they're crooks in suits. And, and then I joined a new bank uh, when we nearly went bust in 1990. And when I closed the business up, I never met my bank manager. And, and my, my motto was, I'm never going to meet him. I don't need to meet him. Um, but it worked for me. That's all I'm saying. Perfect, Charlie. Luck, no, that's brilliant. Guys, um, and and you can, you certainly can, you can achieve a lot more than than what you believe in. That's for sure. Charlie, thank you so much. We really appreciate it, and I wish you all the best going forward with your, your new ventures. Nice one, Greg, and good luck, everybody. Thank you. Can I just ask a quick favour? If you're getting some value out of our podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could just quickly go online, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on the platform that you're listening on. That really helps our rankings and just helps other construction business owners find out about the show so they can improve their businesses too. So let me just say thanks in advance. If you'd like to work with me to fast track your construction business growth, then reach out on www.developcoaching.co.uk.